0: No individual, no matter what your upbringing or what your spiritual standing before the Lord or what your ministry or what your calling, no individual is completely immune from fear. Even the greatest men and women of God throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and throughout church history have had times in their lives when they were overcome by fear. And if you have ever been in a situation or a place where you are... You are in danger physically, in danger spiritually, or you don't know what to do, or it is awkward, or you are uncomfortable, then you know what it is like to face fear as if it were an invincible monster about to swallow you. And if you have nothing else to do and nowhere else to go, you just have to throw yourself on the Lord, because the Lord has a way of encouraging His servants and sort of putting aside our fear. He did this to Joshua. Do you remember Joshua who's taking over for Moses? Those are some big shoes to fill, aren't they? Well, apart from the fact that Joshua was stepping into Moses' role and Moses was a man of such great accomplishment and extraordinary abilities and almost a legend in his own time, Joshua had the unenviable task of taking this ragamuffin nation that was ill-equipped and ill-armed and taking them into well-fortified land with fortified cities and facing down what in their eyes were giants. And Joshua would have been scared. And the Lord said to Joshua in Joshua 1, 6-9, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success Wherever you go, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. How many times did he say that? Three times. I get the impression from reading that that Joshua needed the Lord to tell him three times, be strong and be courageous. Then there was Jeremiah. The Lord commissioned him to be a prophet to a stubborn and rebellious people that wouldn't listen to him. And Jeremiah responded by saying, Lord, I'm just a youth. I'm just a young man. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Remember Elijah? That great prophet of God. And he had that encounter with the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and after that massive encounter, that spiritual victory, he has all 450 of those false prophets slaughtered. So he is right on the heels of a tremendous victory. All of the momentum is behind Elijah. Israel is behind him. A massive demonstration. 450 false prophets slaughtered. And the queen threatens to take his life. May my head be like yours if you do not become like them by this time tomorrow. 1 Kings 19 verse 3 says, Elijah arose, he was afraid, he arose, and he ran for his life. Fearful. Timothy. facing opposition, persecution, for being a believer and for being so closely associated with Paul that Paul said, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of a sound mind and discipline. So do not be ashamed of the Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering. Remember Peter? Peter was overcome by fear. Lord, bid me to come out of the boat and walk to you on the water. Well, come on out, Peter. He jumps outside the boat and the first thing he noticed was these massive waves. He looks at the waves. Glug, 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 down goes Peter. Remember what Peter said? I will not deny thee, Lord, even if everybody denies thee. I will not. He's overcome by fear. Church history has been the same way. Some of the greatest men and women of God in church history have been overcome by fear at times. Luther, after he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, was called on the carpet at the Diet of Arms. And there before the popes, cardinals, and all of the nobles, and the princes, and the priests, and the Catholic apologists, in this crowded room stood Luther with Melanchthon beside him and a couple other people who had made the trip with Luther. And he stood in front of all of these mighty people. And as Luther walked into the room, they stared holes through him because they hated him with a hatred like you can't imagine. And they had all of Luther's publications, his books and his his pamphlets and his writings laid out on this table as well as a copy of his theses. And they said to him, are these your writings? Yes. Will you recant of these writings and all of their teachings? I need 24 hours to think about it. Luther went to his room, they gave him 24 hours. We'll meet again here tomorrow at the same time. Luther went to his room and that night he wrote this prayer. Listen to this. "O Almighty and everlasting God, how terrible is this world! Behold, it openeth its mouth to swallow me up, and I have so little trust in Thee. How weak is the flesh, and Satan how strong! If it is only in the strength of this world that I must put my trust, then all is over. My last hour is come. My condemnation has been pronounced. O God... O God, O God, do Thou help me against all the wisdom of this world. Do this, Thou shouldst do this, Thou alone, for this is not my work but Thine. I have nothing here, nothing to contend for with these great ones of the world. I should desire to see my days flow on peaceful and happy, but the cause is Thine and it is a righteous and eternal cause. O Lord, help me, faithful and unchangeable God, In no man do I place my trust. It would be vain. All that is of man is uncertain, and all that cometh of of man fails, O God. My God, hearest Thou me not? My God, art Thou dead? No, Thou canst not die. Thy hidest Thyself only. Thou hast chosen me for this work. I know it well. Act then, O God, and stand at my side for the sake of Thy well-beloved Jesus Christ, who is my defense, my shield, and my strong tower fearful. Luther knew that when he walked into that room the next day and said, I will not and I cannot recant, Luther knew it was a death sentence. He was a marked man from that day forward. And the night before that, he wrestled with God and he wrote that prayer. God, I need help and I am overcome with terror at what awaits me. Jeremiah, Joshua, Elijah, Peter, Timothy, Luther, the list could go on, friends. And the Apostle Paul fell into that camp at one time as well. In Acts chapter 18, the Lord needed to encourage Paul because Paul was experiencing some fear. And if I'm reading the text right, I think that that fear was beginning to sort of overwhelm Paul in a sense. Now Paul has come into Corinth and there he has found that as he went into the synagogue, he was confronted by blasphemers who blasphemed Christ. When Paul preached his message, there were some who believed and were baptized like we saw last week. And in verse 9 it says, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And this is one of six visions that Paul has of Christ, or six visions that Paul has in the book of Acts. And in this particular vision, the Lord is encouraging Paul to stay in Corinth. And I would gather that the Apostle Paul, after all of the opposition, after turning to the Gentiles and leaving the synagogue, was preparing to leave Corinth and continue on his way to the next city on his itinerary. Until the Lord appeared to Paul and he gave Paul three promises... And then, on the basis of those three promises, Paul said, I'm stopping here and I'm setting up shop. And he stayed there a year and six months. Eighteen months he was in Corinth. What are those three promises? Let's look at those first this morning. The promise of his presence. The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. The NASB, my translation, adds the words any longer. Do not be afraid any longer, because that carries with it the idea or that it communicates the idea of the Greek tense, the present tense. When when the Lord said this to Paul, fear was what Paul was experiencing. He was afraid. Do not be fearful anymore. He's sort of rebuking Paul's fear. Paul was scared. Uh, do not be fearful any longer, Paul, but go on speaking. Now, did Paul have a right to be fearful? Did he have a reason to fear? You think Paul had reason to fear? After he got saved, what happened? Went to Damascus. The king wanted his life. Chased him out of Damascus. He had to be let down through a wall in a basket where he ran to Jerusalem only to be hated by the Christians and rejected by the Christians there. And then he had to leave Jerusalem and go to Caesarea because the Jews wanted to kill him in Jerusalem. And then he goes on his first missionary journey where he is confronted by a false prophet on the island of Cyprus, abandoned by John Mark on the coast of Pamphylia, goes up to Antioch and he's run out of the synagogue there. They chase him to Iconium, run him out of the synagogue in Iconium, he goes to Lystra where he's stoned and drug outside the city and left for dead. On the second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul gets to Philippi where he's opposed by a... Demon-possessed diviner, a slave girl, and then the owners of that girl oppose Paul. They beat him and throw him into prison where he spends half a night in prison. Then he's asked to leave Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica. He's run out of Thessalonica. Goes to Berea. He's run out of Berea. He goes to Athens where he's mocked and jeered and then he comes to Corinth. And friends, in Corinth it's anything but peace and quiet. They have blasphemed him. He's left the synagogue. He's right next door. That infuriates the Jews. And scandal of scandal if the leader of the synagogue has not come to faith in Christ. Now if you're Paul, you're saying to yourself, I see a pattern developing here. I go into a city. They resist it. They hate me. And then I become their target. So what's Paul expecting? A beating? Maybe an imprisonment? Maybe both? You're 50 years old, folks, which is what Paul was, he was creeping up on 50 years old. You get to be 50 and those beatings get old in a hurry. And you think he had reason to fear? I think he did. Paul's thinking to himself, this is what awaits me. And, and it's not a weakness to have, it's not a sin to have these moments where you face down fear and you wrestle through the emotional struggle that the fear brings. And right at that minute, the Lord, in a night vision, appeared to Paul, and he said to Paul, Paul, put away your fear. Be fearful no more. And keep on speaking. And the tense of that verb, keep on speaking, indicates that Paul had not stopped speaking. It's two different tenses. Paul, you're afraid now. Stop being afraid. And never, ever stop speaking. Paul had not let his fear get to the point where it silenced him. But isn't it completely appropriate for the Lord to address those two things together? Because often fear becomes the reason why we're silent, does it not? We fear that something is going to overcome us. Something is going to happen to us because we're vocal or because we share Christ or because we speak the truth of the Word. And fear promises us that if we remain silent, what we fear will not happen. those two things go together, Paul. Put away your fear and never, ever, never, ever stop speaking the truth. Then look what he says. For I am with you. And do you think Paul knew that? You think Paul knew that? I think he knew it full well. You and I know that. Did Paul need to be reminded of that? That's not a profound truth, is it? I mean, it's not the deepest theological truth that God is with us wherever we go. And yet the first thing out of the mouth of the Lord is, Paul, I'm with you. That is the thing that should be a default in our understanding of the Lord. This is the thing that should be at the front of our minds always, everywhere, in every circumstance. This basic truth that no matter what we, where we go or what we do, the Lord is with us. And yet, when fear comes in, that is the first thing that we forget. That is the first thing that we need to be reminded of. Paul, I'm with you. Paul knew that. Matthew 28, the Lord said to the disciples, I am with you even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Paul I'm with you. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who is the maker of the heavens and the earth. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep you. He is your shade. He is your comforter. He is the rock at your right hand. He's always there. I think Paul just needed to be reminded by the Lord. Paul, remember, this is Christianity 101. I am with you. So put away your fear. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Paul, I'm with you. that's exactly what Paul needed to know. He had every reason to fear. Friends, to be honest with you, you and I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago, right? After all of that, I think most of us sitting here would have got to the end of that first missionary journey and said, I've had enough. You know, I've suffered. It's time for me to retire, not Paul. And friends, here's the basic truth of it. When you are opposed over and over and over and over, that constant opposition and that constant antagonism that you and I might face, it begins to take its toll on us, doesn't it? It begins to take its toll. And Paul was not immune from that. A great man of God, yes, but the Lord appeared to him and said, Paul, fear no more. Keep on speaking because I'm with you. It's the promise of his presence. Second, I want you to notice the promise of his protection because he says to Paul, I'm with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. (laughs) That's good news. No man is going to attack you, Paul, in order to harm you. I want you to notice, first of all, friends, that the, the, the promise itself is not given to you and I. It's given to Paul. So don't jump on that verse and say, Ah, God has promised that nobody will attack me and harm me. That's not His promise to you. That's His promise to Paul. And by the way, it only applied to Corinth because after Paul left Corinth, what happened? He was attacked and he was harmed. He was eventually beheaded. So Paul was attacked and harmed after Corinth, but here was the Lord's promise to Paul. You stay in Corinth and as long as you're here, no man will attack you in order to harm you. Now, if I had received that promise, I would have never left Corinth. I would have stayed in Corinth for the rest of my ministry. I would have pastored the church there and been content to stay in Corinth where the Lord had promised me nobody will attack you to harm you. Paul didn't do that. He stayed for a year and 18 months or a year and a six months and then he moved on. The principle behind the promise is yours and mine to claim. And here's the principle. The Lord is in control of those things. How could the Lord say, Paul, Nobody's going to attack you here to harm you. How could God say that? God could say that because he knew it. And God could say that because he is the sovereign God who was going to sovereignly protect Paul so that no man would be able to attack Paul and harm him. Friends, the same principle applies to you and I. We can rest in the confidence that God is sovereign and that he protects us and that if anything comes into my life, it is only because it has first gotten past him. And if anything happens to me, I know that it is by the hand of God, by the hand of my sovereign shepherd that he has allowed that to come into its life in the form, into my life in the form that it has. Because he controls those things. He protects me. That's why the believer can say when peace like a river attendeth my way, Or when shadows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Whether it's peace or whether it's adversity, I can say I am fine with that because thou hast taught me to say it's well with my soul. He protects me. His presence and his protection. Now Paul needed his protection. As long as Paul was in Corinth, no man was going to attack him to harm him. That didn't mean that no man would attack him. You're going to see next week how some people did attack Paul, but not to harm him, not to harm him at all. We have the promise of his presence. We have the promise of his protection, his watch and care over us. And friends, I would ask you this. Do you believe what the psalmist says when he says that God is our rock and our refuge and our defender and our shield and the shield about me? Do you believe that? Or do you have this view of God that He desperately wants to protect you, but He can't. Because He's gotten Himself in over His head by creating this world filled with rebellious creatures that He can't possibly control and He can't possibly move around or orchestrate. And He would desperately love to do what He can to protect you, but He just can't. And so you're out on your own. And the best you can hope for is that God might run around heaven in some way, find some way to help you or to protect you. Is that your view of God? Or do you see your Father as that Loving, sovereign, providential, good God who controls everything and He only allows you to endure what He knows you can endure and He allows you to experience suffering to accomplish His greater purpose. What's your view of God? He's promised us His presence. He has promised us His protection. And then look at the third thing that He promised Paul. Verse 10, I am with you and no man will harm you, or attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Now friends, that is a shocking statement. I want to take this apart for just a second. That is a a shocking statement on the face of it. And as you begin to ponder some of the elements of what Jesus said in this vision to Paul, this becomes one of those statements in the book of Acts that is, quite frankly, very difficult for some of us to swallow. This is one of those statements that is of the same caliber as Acts 13.48, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. This is the same type of statement. This is a statement that clearly demonstrates and clearly shows the sovereignty of God in salvation and in election and in choosing those who are His. And as Luke has done throughout the book of Acts, he perfectly balances the truth of divine sovereignty right alongside the truth of human responsibility. They are sister truths that throughout Acts go hand in hand and they walk together. I want you to see it. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Just a few pages back to Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, in his sermon to all of these Jews, look what he says, This man, speaking of Christ... This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That's divine sovereignty. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. That's human responsibility. The death of the Lord was predetermined, predestined to occur, planned by God, designed by God, fixed by God. That was part of His plan all along. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you, that's human responsibility, you nailed to a cross and put to death by the hands of godless men. Now somebody on the day of Pentecost may say, Peter, if it was predestined and predetermined that it was going to occur, then how can I be responsible for it? Do you notice how Luke puts those two things side to side? But he doesn't bother to try and answer the question that comes to all of our minds, and that is that if God has predetermined it to happen, how can I be responsible for it happening? He doesn't try and reconcile what on the surface seems irreconcilable. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Peter again and the rest of the apostles praying to the Lord after they had been threatened and released from the Sanhedrin, verse 27 says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Who's responsible for what Peter's about to describe? Gathered together in this city, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the peoples, all of these people did what? Look at chapter four verse twenty eight, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. Acts chapter thirteen. And there's others that we could go to, but I'm just hitting the highlights. Acts chapter thirteen verses forty six. Paul and Barnabas, after leaving the after being blasphemed and run out of the synagogue in Antioch, said in verse forty six, They spoke out boldly and said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You've rejected the Lord, you've rejected our message, you have spurned His grace, so who's responsible for that? You have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Then in the next breath, Acts chapter 13 verse 48, they turn to the Gentiles and Luke says, As many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Now what am I to make of those two statements? Are they responsible or are there some who are appointed to eternal life and believe? The answer is yes. It's both. You see how Luke does this? Chapter 18. The statement of divine sovereignty that comes in the midst of this vision to Paul comes in the context of Paul laying responsibility upon the Jews in the synagogue in Corinth. Verse 8 Uh, Sorry, verse 6, but when they resisted and blasphemed, remember what Paul said? We looked at this last week. He shook out his garments and said, your blood is on your own heads, I'm clean. Who's responsible? Who's responsible? Paul says, you're responsible. You, you bear the blood for your decision. You want to reject grace? Judgment is coming and you bear the full brunt of it. You're responsible for the decision that you've made. Then Jesus appears to Paul and says, Paul, I have many people in this city What's he saying? Is he just referring to the people who are Christians in Corinth already? Gaius and Crispus and some of the others who had become believers during these early days of ministry in Corinth? Is he just referring to those? He is referring to those, but friends, it goes beyond that. Jesus is saying to Paul, I want you to stay here because I still have many people in this city. Paul, there are a lot of people in Corinth who have been appointed to eternal life who have not yet believed. There were people in Corinth who had heard the Gospel and rejected the Gospel, who were still His people. They had yet to believe. There were people in Corinth who were His people, Christ's people, who had never even yet heard the Gospel. Some of them had heard and were weighing it and had not yet made a decision or trusted Christ for salvation. Yet Jesus said to Paul, Paul, don't fear. I have people in this city. So Paul sets up camp. 18 months, he stays in Corinth. Why? Because the Lord has just promised Paul, your ministry here will bear fruit. I still have many people in this city, Paul. And is it hard to hear the Lord say something like that? It shouldn't surprise us that he would say something like that in the book of Acts, because, friends, the Lord Jesus, while he was here on earth, spoke just like that in the Gospels. But he was much more forceful. Much more straightforward. John chapter 6, Jesus said, All that the Father has given Me will come to Me, and the one who comes to Me I will certainly not cast out. This is the will of Him who sent Me, that of all that He has given to Me, they will come, and I will raise them up at the last day, and I will lose not one of them. This is what Jesus is saying to Paul. Paul, I have people in this city. How could Christ say that to him in a vision? He could say it because he knew who his people were. He knew who his sheep were even before his sheep trusted him, heard his voice, and came to him. Paul, I have people in this city. Now, if I was Paul, I would have looked at Corinth and said, Lord, are you kidding me? In this sin hole? Some of these people are your sheep? Paul? I have many people in this city. John chapter 10. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and they come to me. And then Jesus said in John 10:16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold and I must bring them in also. And they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. I have many sheep, Jesus said, that are not of this fold. They will hear my voice and they will come to me and they will become one flock with one shepherd. He called me, his sheep, 2,000 years before I ever trusted in him or heard his voice and came to him. Yet Jesus said, the sheep will hear my voice and I will gather in my sheep. So when Jesus says to Paul, I have many people in this city, he is essentially saying to Paul, Paul, there are a number that the Father has given to me who have not yet come to me, they are My sheep. They will hear My voice. They will come to Me. I will raise them up. To use Luke's words, there are many who had been appointed to eternal life who had not yet believed. You now, is this in keeping with what Paul would say about election and predestination and divine sovereignty in other places? It most certainly is. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says that we have been saved and called with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose. Listen and grace which was granted to us in eternity past. We have been called according to a grace that was granted to us from all eternity. Go back as far as you want. You were His sheep. The grace was given to you, not the moment you believed. That's when the grace became manifest. The grace was given to you, Paul says, from all eternity take that one home and chew it on it over lunch go back as far as you want age upon age upon age upon age grace was granted to us paul says from all eternity and before i was ever born i was his sheep because jesus said i'll gather them in they'll hear my voice i'll bring them in and make them one flock with one shepherd other sheep i have they're not they're not here but I will gather them in. I was a sheep. The Lord didn't say to Paul, Paul, take courage in this. if you stay here long enough and if you preach hard enough and if you really get out there and you give her, take courage in the fact that there may be some people out there who might trust in me if you stay here long enough and do the work hard enough. The Lord didn't say that to Paul. Paul, I have my elect in this city. I have my sheep in this city. There are many of them. There are more of them. They've been appointed. They haven't believed. So get out there and do the ministry, Paul. The fruit will be there because I have people in this city. Paul said in Second Timothy chapter one, sorry, chapter two, verse ten. For this reason I endure all things. For the sake of what? For the sake of those who are chosen. Why? In order that they too may come to salvation and gain with it eternal glory. Why are you staying in Corinth, Paul? For the sake of those who are chosen, that they may obtain salvation too. That's why I preach. That's why I travel. That's why I minister. It's the purpose behind everything. It's for the elect. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says it again a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God. Paul, why are you an apostle? Why did Christ set you apart from your mother's womb, call you to be an apostle, and demonstrate His grace in you, and then commission you into service? Paul, why are you an apostle, and why are you set apart? He says it is for the faith of those chosen of God. Why did the Lord want Paul to stay in Corinth? Because he had sheep there, and this was Paul's ministry. It is for the sake of those chosen of God, that they may obtain the salvation, and with it, eternal glory this is exactly the type of encouragement that Paul needed he's present with me he protects me and have the promise of his blessing upon all that I do friends are you discouraged giving up in your service wondering what's the point wanting to move on then bank on those three promises no matter how much you fear No matter how much you wonder, no matter how discouraged you are in what you're doing, the Lord is with you. That is, He's sovereign over your circumstances. Wherever you're at, He's right there in the midst of it with you. You may not feel it. It may not seem like that. You may not experience it. You may not see Him standing right next to you, but His promise is that He's there because He's sovereign over your circumstances. Second, His protection. He's sovereign over people. Nobody's going to attack you and harm you unless He allows that to happen. That's all I need. And third, he's sovereign over salvation. So that you and I can do the work of ministry, we can teach the word, we can be bold in speaking the word, knowing that we as his children have the ineffable privilege of being used by him as the mouthpieces by which he calls his sheep to himself. Isn't that a blessing? Paul, I have many people in this city He's sovereign over my circumstances. He is sovereign over people. And He is sovereign over salvation. And so you and I can place the confidence in the Word of God to preach and to teach and to proclaim it and to stand for it, trusting that through all of that, the great shepherd is gathering in his sheep. Now what do you do if you want to call in the sheep? What do you do that the sheep might come into the fold? They have to hear the shepherd's voice, don't they? The sheep can't come to him, Jesus said, lest they're drawn. They have to hear the shepherd's voice. My sheep will hear my voice and they will come. So how do you call in this mass of people that the Lord has in Corinth that he wants Paul to stay there for? How do you call them in? You do exactly what Paul did in verse 11. What does it say? It says that he settled there a year and six months and he taught the word of God to them. Look at that. I want to be used by God to call in the sheep. What do you do? Paul says, you got people in this city? I don't know who they are, but I'm setting up camp. And he stayed there a year and six months, and he taught the Word of God, because it is the Word of God that effectively works in us who believe. It is the Word of God that saves us and brings us to a saving knowledge of Christ. Peter says, you've, you've not been saved by that which is perishable, but by the imperishable, the living and enduring Word of God. And this is the Word that was preached to you, 1 Peter chapter 2. So Paul set up camp. You want to call the sheep? Preach the word. You want to bring the sheep into the fold? Share the word. Teach the word. Let the word expand, and through that, the sheep hear his voice, and all of those people who have been appointed to eternal life will believe. That's the promise of Scripture, and it's a wonderful promise. And it's exactly what Paul needed to settle down, to settle in, and to teach and preach the word of God in Corinth for a year and a half. Father, we thank you for the promise of your word, which is that you will always bless it. It will always accomplish that which you have purposed for it to accomplish. And we can rest in the fact that you are sovereign over our circumstances, sovereign over people, and sovereign in salvation. We thank you for that grace which was granted to us in Christ from all eternity. And Lord, what a privilege it is for us to be used by you that you would stoop and, and stoop and condescend to use even us to be instruments by which the sheep might hear your voice. We thank you for that privilege and we thank you for the promise of your word all to the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.